good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk's the program for the Christian layman. You know, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. Well, in short, that program's designed for someone just exactly like me. Because, you know, there's a lot I don't understand. Not necessarily something soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been bugging me for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep chapter and verse theological discussion, sometimes a casual front porch style discussion with a pastor is often the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest pastor is Andrew Preuss of St. Paul and Trinity Lutheran Churches up in Iowa. I have my questions. I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions by email at any time to letstalk at kfuo.org. Or call in during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, and that includes Metro East, the number is area code 314-821-0850. Anywhere else in North America, you can call us toll-free at 1-800-730-2727. Pastor Preuss, welcome to the front porch. It's good to be back. Well, actually, given the temperature and stuff, it's good things we're actually in studio rather than on, on the front porch. It is snowing here. It is cold. It's, uh, I think the the, uh, the weather term for it is yucky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it teaches us patience. So that's always a good thing. That's true. So here I am with a nice warm studio with a hot microphone and... Oh, all sorts of wonderful things to go. Hey, did you have a good uh, Valentine's Day? Yeah, actually, I was just telling my friends about the the awesome steak that I uh, that I made last night, or I, I cooked, and what? I had so we had my wife and I had uh, uh, the steak medium rare with uh, uh, scallops, and then uh, like a steak sauce and a scallop sauce. It was awesome. It was amazing. Oh wow! So yeah, that was it was probably the best steak I've ever had. And you made it? Oh yeah. Oh boy. Yeah, I mean, maybe not the best, but it was up there. So, yeah. it was a good day. Well, my wife and I had, uh, we'd ordered a uh, dinner from uh, from a local place, and I went and picked it up, and we had uh, salmon, and a really nice salmon with uh, some rice on it, and we had, what else did we have on that? Uh, oh, we had uh, squash soup, which was incredible, because I did think I'd like squash soup, but that was good. And Yeah, a, that does sound, oh, sound great. It was. And then we had this chocolate cake dessert that if, it's one of those things where you look at and you automatically put on two pounds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one of the pastors uh, who's on one of the programs here recently uh, said that he was tired of all the other pastors he knew who brewed beer. So he was going to brew wine. <laughs> and, oh, nice. And yeah. he, he gave me a bottle of peach wine. And that's what we had over the uh, over our uh, over our. Our Thanksgiving, right? Our Valentine's Day dinner. Oh, that's great. So that was a fun thing. Now we're getting into uh, the weekend, and I'm looking forward to that. But, uh, you know, being as I do all the, the news here and what have you, I try to keep my uh, finger on the pulse of things that are going around the country and things that might affect us here at the church or just as human beings and Christians. Mm -hmm. And I stumbled across a series of articles lately that, just, I, I can't wrap my head around this. It is so incredible, but it's actually happening. There is a movement out there for what they call gender-neutral parenting. Mm -hmm. That is, you don't raise your child as male or female. You just let it eventually choose, quote-unquote, its own. Yeah. Now, 
you know, this is one of those things that's, I would personally describe that as child abuse. Yeah. Yeah. I also find it just so stupid. I mean, it's just, I mean, I, I know you, you don't have children, but you, you, you've been around children and you've gotten, I'm sure you have like nephews and nieces and stuff. But my, I mean, what I see with my kids, I had never had to teach my daughters how to be girls or my boys how to be boys. I mean, they know how to do that. You know, they, there's, uh, it's just so stupid. This whole, uh, you know, it's all about this, this idea that it's all about nurture and it's not about nature. It's just silly. Yeah, I mean, um, and, and that's, you know, I, you know, a lot of these, what this reminds me of is, is, uh, often in the scriptures, uh, Jeremiah 25 comes, comes to mind is where they talk about the, you know, giving God, giving them a, a cup of staggering and that they're, they're just, they're fools. And they're, they're under the, the, the shows that they're under the judgment of God because they're such fools. And it's just so silly. And yet we have to talk about it because it's, you know, we find ourselves talking about it because it's actually right in our backyard. And it's getting closer. It's just appalling to me. Uh, you know, uh, some of the articles I was reading, they some of the people are saying, "Well, this uh, this week we dress our child up as a boy, and this week uh, next week we'll dress it up as a girl." And there's even a phrase for for these children who they refuse to identify with gender. They call them babies instead of babies. Oh my goodness! And it's yeah. And the idea, well, I will let my child choose his, her, its own gender when it gets time. You know, you don't let a three-year-old choose what it wants for dinner. Mm-hmm. When it wants to go outside, <laughs> when it wants to play, when it wants to sleep. That's the yeah. parent's job. Yeah, yeah. My, I, uh, I recorded, actually, a few weeks ago, I recorded my, my four-year-old daughter explaining to me all the things that she can eat. That she, that she, she says, I can only eat rice and cookies. And then I say, well, what else can you eat? And she goes on and she says, well, ice cream cookies and <laughs> chocolate chip cookies and rice cookies and all these different variations of cookies. And, you know, we just laugh and think it's cute and stuff. But, but when you actually, if, if we were to take that seriously and give her exactly what she insists to us is all she's able to eat. Um, well, that would just be absurd. So, yeah, I mean, this is something that an unbeliever can can recognize, just ridiculous. And there are plenty of them who do. I mean, I've I've seen uh, you know radio show uh, hosts who are not Christians, but they they see this uh, and and they just they just mock it. They say this is ridiculous. Um, but you know, as a, from a theological standpoint, from a Christian standpoint. The issue is uh, that they've rejected the God who created them. They've rejected the image of God. And so, you know, this is what happens. When you, when you, if you have a culture that has some exposure to the true God revealed in the image, namely Jesus Christ, and then you reject that God, well, you're going to start rejecting other very fundamental things. And, and, and that's why when we see this, this is, again, this kind of cup of staggering it is god's judgment it's god's judgment on our society our culture for rejecting christ rejecting his son and um i mean you, you go go back to um uh what jesus says about uh the destruction of jerusalem and you know the the kind of stuff that's going to happen there it's going to be horrible stuff that they'll never even never experience for the rest of the world for the rest of the age of the world 
And the kind of stuff that was going on there, I mean, you had women eating their babies, this horrible, unspeakable thing going on. And that's, that Jesus makes it very clear that this is, this is their judgment for not recognizing God's visitation. And so I think that when we as Christians hear about these movements of genderless children and, you know, nonsense like that, we, and one, really it is worthy of being mocked as God stands in the heavens and mocks and mocks the, those who, you know, hold them in derision. But at the same time, we should fear God. I mean, that should really teach us that the judgment is really, is really coming. And we know exactly why. So, you know, so, so it's easy to get caught up in kind of a general so, uh, social uh, culture war kind of thing and then find allies with those who also believe that two plus two equals, equals four and that a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl. But as Christians, we should always remember that, that the reason why these things are happening, and we know why they're happening, and they are signs of God's judgment. Well, I think God has hardwired us to be man or woman, male or female. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know, uh, I know there are people who, uh, well, just, just look at gay people. Uh, they, I, they may be hardwired to do that. I don't know why that is. You know, we have people who are born, for example, uh, with Down syndrome or people who are born left-handed. We have people who are born that are things other than what we call, quote, the norm. Yeah. Uh, and I can see that. But the thing is, <laughs> you, know, you don't do that to a child. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, and then, you know, going back to that question about about whether people are born gay or whatever, I mean, obviously, the, the there's it's not it's not backed up as far as I can tell, as far as the things that I've read, that's not backed up by any sort of um, honest scientific um, investigation. But at the same time, even if even if you did, let's just grant that you have, and this might even be the case, that you have people who are more susceptible to a certain vice or a certain perversion, um, more vulnerable to that. Um, well. You know, you might have, for example, you might have people who have alcoholism in their family and they're, so they don't drink, right? Because they don't, they know, they know their family history, they know themselves, and so they avoid that. Um, and so, of course, you know, they, we, we would, uh, we should be able to apply that the same thing. But see, what you're, but what you're getting at here is that it's, now this is even beyond that. They're not even trying to make some, make an argument that, the children are born such and such way. They've even rejected that. They've even rejected the genetic makeup. I mean, something that. So, it, 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 what's interesting about what we've what we've seen in, in the West in the last few hundred years is that what you had in the 18th and 19th centuries, you had this, you know, making everything objective. We know everything. We can know everything based on evidence, and it's all very objective. And so, therefore, we don't need God. Um, but then, you know, kind of the children of that generation, of those generations, kind of realize that, well, not everything is so objective. And then so they've gone like the total opposite way, but they've still kept God out of it. So, it's, you know, it's like the, the one, the, 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 um, the older kind of rationalists, as we might call them, made, uh, made everything objective so they could get rid of God. And uh, now today, uh, they're, they're, illegitimate children, so to speak, have made everything subjective or relative um, so that they can keep God out of it. And so they both have the same goal. 
And so really that's what they're doing. The, the real issue here is that they don't want to be accountable to the God who actually made us in his image. And so they're pretending that their children, that, that, that their children's identity as, as their sexual their identity as a, as a boy or a girl is simply uh, totally up to them. You know, it's like Psalm 12 talks about this. Luther wrote a great hymn on this, which is unfortunately not in our hymnal, um, but it should be. Uh, uh, oh, oh, God, look down from heaven, behold. It's based on Psalm 12. And, uh, and you know, there's the, in the psalm it says, you know, by our own words we shall prevail. We own no, no Lord or Master. You know, so it's, it has nothing to do, I mean, it's, it's, you reject God's Word, you reject the Gospel, you reject Christ as Lord, and eventually it, it, it goes down to you're even rejecting that which is clearly in front of you, and that even a wise heathen can admit is just obvious. Well, it strikes me that, that they're not only rejecting God, uh, they're rejecting science. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> all they have to do is to look. Does the child have this genital or that genital? They know what the gender is. Well, and this is nothing new in our in in the last couple generations. I mean, look at abortion. You know, I mean that you if you if you're scientifically honest, you we have you know we 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 have uh, uh, the technology to see that the child in this mother's womb is alive, and uh, and yet they refuse to believe it. And so, I mean, their their ideology is what is uh, is driving them, and I think that that's just it goes to show that we can't. I mean, this is actually very informative for us when we engage in things like apologetics. The issue, the main issue, is not necessarily the evidence, and that's not to say the evidence isn't important. It is. I mean, Jesus rose from the dead. Paul lists all the witnesses, all that stuff. But the real issue is a spiritual issue. They are blinded by the God of this world. And if they continue to be blinded by the God of this world, then it doesn't matter how much evidence you throw at them. They're not going to believe it. Oh, that's, that's absolutely true. I, I, in fact, I've got an article right in front of me about a Florida couple uh, that have, they have a one-year-old ch- child, they be, and uh, one of the parents is saying, we did not assign a sex birth, <clears throat> excuse me, we did not assign a sex at birth, which means that when they were born, they had genitals. We know what they are. We just chose to acknowledge that those genitals don't mean anything about gender. Say what? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's remarkable. And I mean, I don't know if, I mean, how, how much this will catch on. It seems that, I mean, just to look at, just to speak kind of socially on this, yeah, it seems it seems that they're that the mainstream movements that are more kind of on the left, they wanna they want to be nice to these kinds of people. They want to kind of give them a platform because they want to give everyone who is deemed a minority or a victim a platform. That's just kind of their mo. But I, I mean, there's no way that this is something that could. I don't know. Maybe I'm just speaking too soon. I guess people said that maybe said the same thing about homosexuality. There's no way that such a perversion could actually catch on as a norm in our culture. But I, I just don't see how, I mean, a society can't survive. It just simply can't survive if this is the way that the general population thinks. Although I will say that this is something, this is kind of, you know, one, one point to make about, like, about homosexuality. Um, people are all fine about homosexuality, right? You talk to your average person on the street today, um, you're probably going to, 
find that most of them find nothing wrong with it. Even those who deem themselves conservative are going to be like, ah, oh, yeah, it's not a big deal. No, no, you know, no, no sweat off my back, right? But what if it hits home for them? And I wonder if, you know, what if it then is your child who is suddenly coming out and saying, yeah, I want to, I want to uh, do that, that act that, that, you know, that, that, uh, you know, that one flesh act with a, with another man. I mean, that's just, I, you know, so it's, it's easy to hop on bandwagons when it's just kind of in the abstract, when it's sort of like, when it makes you sound like you're really uh, compassionate and uh, understanding and not ignorant. But when it actually hits home to you, I, I really wonder how, um, you know, you know I, I just don't think that, 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 structurally that you can survive at all in that way the society could survive and so with the transgender thing you know people love to jump on this bandwagon but what happens and you see this happening where a man gets a divorce like a a couple gets a divorce and then all of a sudden his wacky ex-wife decides that she's going to like dress his son up as their son up as a girl stuff like that and you know i've read reports about this kind of stuff where where custody battles have been fought over issues like this and they're not going the right way. So, I mean, if that continues to be the case, then, I mean, the, I, the, then this is, uh, there's, there's nothing but destruction in, the, in, 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 our, in our forecast. But with that said, though, again, that this, this goes to show that as Christians, we should really understand the importance then of things like marriage and of the distinction between men and women. And I think that the, 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 to look at the bright side of all this, I think it's really challenged Christians who have taken a lot of things for granted to then say, hey, let's actually examine the roles of men and women, you know, because now they're being like totally blurred. And so we actually have to, we're, we're kind of forced to reexamine this stuff according to God's word, because frankly, in the last hundred years or so, we've become more and more compliant with the culture, we're just kind of going along with stuff like, yeah, whatever men can do, whatever men can do, women can do just as well. Well, I mean, it's just, we all know that nonsense, but, you know, we just kind of say it because, you know, we, we, we don't, we want to fit in, but now we actually kind of have to address it. This is, I think, forcing us to address it and be honest about this issue. Well, let me ask a question, uh, theologically here about homosexuality. Sure. Let us take a person who identifies as homosexuality, uh, pardon me, as, as uh, who identifies as homosexual but mm-hmm. does not indulge in it. Mm-hmm. Can that person still be a Christian? Well, I would back it up a bit. I would say our identity is in Christ, right? And our identity is in what God has made us um, as our creator in his image. So my counsel, if I had someone who came to me and said, I'm gay, but I don't want to, you know, I know that it's a sin and stuff like that. Well, I would say, I would explain, well, okay, you don't identify, I would counsel him not to identify himself as gay. I would say you might, you have these, these attractions. We're not going to ignore them, right? We're not going to just like pretend that if you, if you, that if you pray in a certain way or use a certain method that you're going to be able to get rid of it. Um, the, you know, the sinful flesh is always there and the sinful flesh needs to die every day. Um, there are often sins that can come creeping back. Um, that, that come creeping back, you know, that, 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 uh, that we all have to deal with. So I think I would go back to kind of like, you know, Galatians five, that the, the, the spirit, 
strives against the flesh, the flesh strives against the spirit, and there's this battle, and that we live as as Christians in sinful flesh. And so I would my my advice would be don't identify yourself with the sin, right? So it's like you might have a you might have struggles with alcohol, but don't I would not advise people to call themselves alcoholics. Um, I would say uh, you might say, well, you know, clinically I've been I've been uh, diagnosed with alcoholism. Okay, fine. Um, but you know, just to as, for the sake of your conscience, identify yourself as a Christian. Identify yourself as godly, not because of your own godliness, but because Christ has given it to you, and and the Holy Spirit continues to to keep you in that faith. And so that would be my counsel. I mean, I understand. I'm not going to assume that when if someone says that, I'm going to assume that he is a Christian, but he just needs to need some some instruction from God's word, some clear instruction on what it means. Uh, to be a Christian and have these uh, sinful desires. Well, we have sinful desires, I think, just just normally. I mean, I, I can easily see where, uh, without getting too personal, you know, a single person uh, desiring uh, desiring a heterosexual relationship with another person or or fantasizing about an adulterous relationship, things along that line. Yeah. Uh, but they don't carry through with it. That is the point I'm trying to uh, that that is the point I'm trying to raise. Where the person, even the, the even the straight person, as they say, has these sinful urges. The question mm-hmm. in my mind is whether or not he or she acts on it. Yeah, yeah, and and of course, I mean that's uh, you know like as John says in his first epistle, if we uh, he who is born of God does not practice sin, right? Um, we we should always warn against not acting on the sinful desires. Um, at the same time, we should also be very clear that uh, that if you fall into something in weakness, that there is always a way back, and that is Christ. You know, repentance that is available through through Christ. And um, and so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we should we should uh, it should always be our goal not to sin, right? I mean, we pray this every morning. Uh, uh, if you pray Luther's evening or evening and morning prayers, you know. I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. Um, and that's our prayer every day. And, and of course we know that we're going to fall into sin and weakness, but it's not like we're we're not rationalizing it in our mind. Like somehow we're going to be like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to sin, but God's going to forgive me anyway. Like, well, no, that's not the mind of the Christian. The mind of the Christian is I don't want to sin. And yeah, certainly I'm aware that I'm, that my sinful flesh is still there and I'm still going to sin, but that's not for me to try to calculate in my mind, you know, what it's like or how I'm going to kind of get away with being a sinner and yet also being a saint. Well, no, it's just you live with the, you live with the conflict, and you, the only way to live with it is to abide in Christ and abide in his love. And also there's the issue of repentance. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, I I think this is one of the big problems with uh, I know with with uh, some of my uh, gay acquaintances is mm-hmm. there's absolutely no repentance on their part. Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, that's right. And uh, it it really is to the point where then you see how the gospel is offensive, very offensive, because the gospel assumes that there that you have sinned. I mean, if I like, if you, you, how do you think? Uh, you're breaking up here. Let's try this again. What are you talking about? What did I do? <laughs> there we go. 
So, uh, and that's kind of, you know, that, so when you explain to people that Jesus is your Savior and stuff like that, that that's really to its core. Some people might be polite and be like, oh, well, that's nice. And especially if you make it all about you and your personal faith and all that stuff, well, then it's not as threatening. But if you actually declare the truth that Jesus is the Savior of the world and people really get to the core of what that means, they're going to be offended. And so I think that you really hit on that, that they don't, they don't like repentance. They're just in, they're impenitent. That's their problem. The problem isn't that they have a certain identity and who are you to question my identity. The, 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 the problem is that they're impenitent. It's the same. I mean, they're not unique, really. And, and, you know, there's no, as Paul says, there's no temptation that's ever overcome you that's not common to man. Um, we're all, we all fall short in, uh, of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And that means that we all need to repent. Well, the no exception. Well, Jesus said, and this is the last thing I could say before the break, but I've thrown this one at uh, several of my gay acquaintances before. And they said, well, you know, Jesus is a loving and forgiving, uh, it says to love and forgive. And my quote is, Jesus said, go and sin no more, not go and sin some more. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And the forgiveness assumes that you can actually do that. Yeah. Okay, well, we got to take a break right now, but we got a lot more to talk about. This is going to be a very interesting and very controversial subject. the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for... Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. How do we love our neighbor on the internet? Why are the creeds so important? What does it mean to practice Christian hospitality? Questions like these are answered in every edition of The Lutheran Witness, the monthly magazine of the LCMS. The Lutheran Witness can help you interpret the world from a Lutheran Christian perspective by providing reliable, biblical reflections on the issues that you care about the most. Get your free issue at cph.org witness. That's cph.org witness. The story of Worldwide KFUO is a tale of technology. Radio was new in 1924 when KFUO was born to serve Christ the Savior. Now, KFUO is still finding new broadcast technologies so we can spread the gospel to the world via the web, smartphones, tablets, and new intelligent speaker devices. And when the next big thing is unveiled, we'll be there too. Broadcasting the good news at the forefront of technology. We are Worldwide KFUO. 
Booker T. Washington was the founder of Tuskegee University and an advisor to presidents. He promoted enterprise, education, and civil rights for African Americans in the 19th and 20th centuries. Washington wrote about his life in his autobiography, Up From Slavery, I will permit no man to narrow and degrade my soul by making me hate him. Booker T. Washington was a champion of the Bible to his students. He wrote, you never read in history of any great man whose influence has been lasting who has not been a reader of the Bible. If you wish to properly direct your mind and necessarily your lives, begin by reading the book of all books. Read your Bibles every day and you will find how healthfully you will grow. Engage with the Bible and its impact across the ages. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. Joining me on the front porch here is Pastor Andrew Froyce of St. Uh, of uh, Holy Trinity and... Uh, Sorry about that. I forgot the other one, Pastor. Uh, St. Paul's. Yeah, he pastors with both churches up in Iowa. And we are discussing babies. That is the a trend that we're hearing more and more about parents who refuse to identify their children as male or female. Wow. What are things going on there? So we're talking about that now. And, and, and Pastor, the Bible, I think, is explicit about there just being two sexes. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. In, in Matthew 19, um, in fact, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Pharisees were uh, trying to test Jesus and asking about divorce and how uh, uh, Moses gave, uh, allowed them to have a certificate of divorce. And Jesus explained, well, that's because of the hardness of your heart, which is really why the law exists. It's because of, the, uh, because of sin. Well, that's why the law is given. I mean, the law exists eternally, but it's given because of sin. Um, and uh, and then uh, and then Jesus says, "But it was not always so." Um, and, and he said, uh, "He said, for in the beginning God created them male and female, right? And he uh, and then the two shall become one flesh." So yeah, I mean, this is this is a very this is very foundational um, for for our for our faith, you know, because it has to do with creation. And really, you know, we shouldn't be surprised that we've come to this this point in our culture since, uh, you know, Darwin, Darwinian evolution has replaced the, uh, the teaching of, uh, of creation from Genesis. And uh, even, you know, there, you have uh, Christians kind of want to have both ways. And, um, and yet there, when you, when you, when you reject uh, God as creator, this is what's going to happen. You know, this is exactly what's going to happen. So, but, but didn't even Darwin recognize that there were two sexes? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, everyone did. I mean, it's, it's not like it all happens at once, you know. It's kind of like, kind of like, you know, getting drunk, you know. I mean, I may, you know, may, talked about the God giving them a cup of, of, of staggering. You know, you, it's not like you get drunk right away, you know. I mean, you, you don't. You're not like falling over after the first drink, you know. It's it kind of it comes gradually. So I mean, they started getting drunk on their own wisdom, and now they are wasted. Just you know, as they might say, as where I come from, they're faced. You know, they're uh, that, that's 
they're they're just totally sh- uh, sloshed with their with their own uh, with their own wisdom, and uh, it's just embarrassing. It is. It 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 is. Uh, you know, another aspect of it you you breached upon it a little bit earlier uh, was about uh, this uh, supposed transgenderism. Interestingly, now even some of the progressives are starting to question that uh, where transgenders will. Uh, let's say a man who identifies as a woman is now competing in women's sports, and naturally because he has he has the man's musculature and skeletal strength, he beats him. Yeah. And so here they're now suddenly they're faced with with just an unassailable scientific fact: biologically, that person is a particular sex. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, and it's it's interesting to see how the different movements kind of clash with each other. Because you know, feminism, for example, wants kind of you know wants to see equal treatment. They also want women to be kind of treated in their own unique way. Um, but we're seeing how you know if you really want this, the kind of the, the absurd conclusion to equal treatment is what we're seeing here with this kind of genderless or fluid gen, gender fluidity that, that's being promoted. And yet, um, you you have feminists who will object to this because it's you know here's a, a boy who is wrestling girls and beating them <laughs> and that's not fair so it's it's sort of you really can't have both ways <laughs> no you can't and, and and it's interesting that there's so much um gender stereotyping for example even the ones who are talking about gender fluidity or or homosexuality what have you uh, as good things also have this toxic masculinity concept which somehow blends into all men i mean i i once had a had a woman actually say to my face all men are potential rapists mm-hmm. uh no well, they aren't <laughs> well you could say I don't know. I mean, all women are potential, whatever. I mean, it's just such a stupid thing to say. I mean, I guess we're all... See, when someone says that, she she doesn't... She obviously isn't thinking about sin, because in a sense, that could be true. I mean, all sin comes from the heart. And so, really, we should always be on guard for that. Oh, there's see, no question about that. I mean, they, they, don't, they don't understand that. For them, it's more of a social thing. It's more of a political thing. It's about power. And my dad, my dad has... Uh, explained um, feminism in particular, but really all these kind of movements in general, uh, I think in a very helpful way, he says that they, that they see a problem, they see a social problem, but their, their solution to that problem is always political. It's always about power. It's not about returning to the Lord and, and seeking wisdom from him. I mean, so is there a problem with uh, certain men being abusive? Well, sure, um, of course. You know, when hasn't there been? But it, the problem, the, the solution to that problem is not a power shift. You know, it, it is returning to the Lord. It's repenting. And so, you know, all these, this kind of, you're probably, you, you're probably thinking about that Gillette commercial that got a lot of uh, attention <laughs> oh, in the press, you know, and it's just this, this, um, and it really, I think it, it was just virtue signaling, um, you know, just trying to, uh, uh, you know, disciplined men or say, you know, kind of put some shame on men. Um, like this is just a man problem. 
I mean, it is a man problem, but but you can only say that if you if you understand what that really means you know, as, a, as a Christian from the, from the Bible is, is that that man is by nature sinful and unclean. But see, that's the problem. They don't they don't see it like that. They don't they're not thinking about sin because sin has to do with with God. It has to do with our, our relation toward God. The first table of the law, you know, is you're to fear, love, and trust in God. Um, and so that's why for them it's it's, it's merely uh, a, uh, uh, a second table of the law issue, which for them that's, that's meaningless, but it's merely a social issue. So if it's merely a social issue, if it's not about God, not about sins against God, therefore it's not about authority, really. It's not about men exercising the authority that they've been given um, as the stronger vessel, whereas women are the weaker vessel, as, as Peter plainly says, and as nature tells us. Um, no, now, instead of it being understanding that you are a man under authority um, and, and under God's authority, and you are to exercise whatever authority you have as one who will be judged accordingly, now, since God has been taken out of the equation conveniently so that we can kind of control things on our own, now it's all just about um, social power and shifting and stuff like that. So, you know, a, a good example of this is like, have you ever read the book, uh, The Lord of the Flies? Oh, yeah, I've read it. Yeah, and, and that's a really good commentary on human nature. These children, they have no authority. There's no authority over them, and they're, they're all stranded on this island, and they all get... At first, they seem to kind of be able to have structure, but then you have, you have, you have uh, dissensions, you have uh, envy and, and rivalries, and, and it just, you know, it ends terribly. Um, and, uh, and I think that's what we're seeing, is that, that we're seeing like a bunch of Lord of the Flies. What these people have done is they have rejected their fathers. They have pushed fatherhood out the window. And that's what they're, and then their moms, they basically, they push motherhood with it, but they've kind of transformed motherhood into sort of like a best friend sort of, you know, uh, just cheerleader. Um, and so they're reaping the consequences. I mean, they're just a bunch of, they're like, uh, I can't remember the names of the the only the only character whose name I remember is Piggy because he was a fat kid. Oh yeah, um, but uh, but otherwise, you know, that's that's what they are. They're just they're they're eating each other up, and you can see this in the the so-called left. They eat each other up all the time, and that's not to say that people on the right don't. I mean, they do too, but that's just the way of the world. That's you know, when you are drunk on your own wisdom, then you are going to attack. Uh, you're going to be run by. You're gonna. You're not gonna be run by love. You're not gonna be run by, by faith and hope. Um, you're gonna be run by uh, by the by the sinful flesh. It's always interested in itself. It's interested in you know these people. They want attention, right? And then that's what they're getting. Um, so yeah, it's just it, it it's it. So to kind of sum up what I'm saying there, when you remove the first table of the law, that is, you remove God and His activity and His authority. This is exactly what you get. And we have to recognize that the um, the old Adam lives in us all. And, you know, the ancient Absolutely. enemy is out there, and he tempts us daily. Um, and, you know, and to an extent that that woman I mentioned is right. You know, every man, I suppose, is a potential rapist, just as every woman is a potential child killer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. but Absolutely. But we've got, we've been given the authority and the power to resist, and we have the wisdom and knowledge to know what is right and what is wrong. You know, I firmly believe that the conscience is not a societally implanted thing. That's the Holy Spirit telling t- telling me what's right and wrong. Yeah, yeah, and so you have um, 
and I think, you know, the way that I've explained kind of the, the conscience um, and the not kind of natural knowledge of what's right and wrong that, that even the unbelievers have is, it's sort of like, uh, you know, I've heard of, I've heard this before where I've never, thankfully I've never lost a limb, but, um, but I've heard about people who will lose a limb. And have you ever heard of this? There's this thing called like a phantom itch. Yes, I've heard it. Yeah. So that, so that's kind of, that's sort of like what the image of God is like. We lost the image of God, but by nature, we have sort of a phantom itch where there's something there and outwardly it can get us some places or give us some order and stuff like that. But of course, what when you really look at it, it's nothing. So I mean, the natural knowledge of God is there. We have it, but but when you look at it as a, as a as a true knowledge, it really isn't because you don't know Christ. So 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 that so it's it's like a phantom itch. And so when you when you uh, start cutting off your limbs <laughs> because you think, oh well, I, I'm still going to be able to have that phantom itch. Well, okay, that's, then it, this is you know it's just kind of it's very chaotic. Um, so, so yeah, you're right that, that, that they, the conscience tells us this is wrong, but at the same time, it's, it's sort of like what we're dealing with here is people who have feared their consciences and they have hardened their hearts against God. Um, and so, you know, like the Bible says that the, the first, their second state is worse than their first, you know, like it would have been better had they never come to faith. And I think that that's what we're seeing so much in our culture because our culture is very much historically, um, I wouldn't say that it's like fully was fully Christian. I mean, you got like Masonic Lodge and a lot of weird stuff here and there. But overall, there's a Christian mores, you know, in, a, in the culture, and there's some sort of knowledge of God in Christ that you can look in our history in in the West. And as the West continues to reject the God of Scripture, reject Christ, um, and the, the sin against the Holy Spirit by not believing in the Son who from the Father is sent, well. Again, this is—it's like cutting off your arm and thinking, "Well, it'll be—it'll be fine. I'll have that. I'll still feel my arm." You know, it's just—it's just absurd. So they're just steering their consciences themselves. Well, another aspect of um, a biblical reference with the two genders, uh, two sexes, uh, is again, as I understand it, bearing in mind I'm a layman that could be way off base. It's not a matter of uh, man being superior to woman or the other way around. They complement each other. Uh-huh. We, we have different roles to play. They are co-equal in 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 many, if most, if not always. You mm-hmm. know, there are certain things that are assigned to it. You know, the woman can give birth; the man can't. Mm-hmm. You know, but again, these are complementary. Uh, that a man should leave his woman, a man should leave his mother and a woman her home, and that the two of them become as one. Uh, that I think really, really spells it out. <clears throat> Excuse me, that it's not a matter of superiority of, of one gender over the other. It's they need each other to be complete. Yeah, yeah. Now, so the, it, I mean, it, it depends on what we're talking about. Obviously, if we're going to talk about strength. Um, oh yeah, that's that's strictly and, like, a physical like thing. I mean, there are certain things that are just objectively greater. But here's the point, though: God is no. God does not care about the strength of men. Like, that's the point. Is that, so as Christians, I think we got to understand that um, that the distinction between men and women, the role of men and women, the headship and stuff like that, there's no way to rejoice in this apart from knowing the gospel and apart from knowing that the first shall be last and the last shall be first and that God exalts the lowly. So, I mean, this is why I always say, like, there, we do ourselves no favors by trying to downplay the weakness of women. That's It's just... 
it's just it's absurd it's not you know it, 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 it's just untrue to deny it but what we should do is we should we should we should address it as Christians this is what the scriptures are all about like first Peter 3 is about you know honoring her as the weaker vessel um, and 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 so but to your other point though about being equal I mean I agree in in, in this sense specifically that here is this um, that we find an analogy between the one flesh union of, of a man and his wife uh, we find an analogy of that with uh, with the Trinity, um, you know, you go to First First Corinthians 15. It says that the Son subjects himself to, to the Father, um, even now in his exaltation. So subjecting yourself does not mean that you are inferior. Um, it, it, it certainly there is an order to it, and there's a head head in the order, and there's a there's one who, who submits in the order, right? Um, and so outwardly, when we look at it, it might seem like one is greater than the other. And this is why people would get so, in the early church, people would, would, would get confused about the Trinity a lot, and they would say, it's like, well, the Father is a greater God, the Son is a little bit lesser God, and the Holy Spirit is a little bit lesser God. It's like, but but at, the end of the, at the end of the day, and thankfully by the Council of Nicaea, the Council of First, First Council of Constantinople, they, in the 4th century, they were like, wait, no, we got to take this by what the Scriptures say. The Scriptures say that they are the same God. You know, so this thing with, with man and wife, I mean, what we see, what we experience, seems as though the man is better than the woman in many ways. And this is what feminism sees. You know, <laughs> and, and this is, you know, feminism is onto something here when they say that. But here's the, this is the, the solution is not power. The solution is to look and say, well, the scripture says that they're one flesh. Well, I think, I think when we layers. say, when we say, that women are the are the weaker vessel. I think we're simply talking about physical strength there. Now, you know, I'm six two and I weigh two fifty. You know, mm-hmm. there are not a lot of women in my in my size class. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I can name any number of women here at the international center in whom I am in awe in terms of of, the, of their duties, accomplishments, and and their strength. Sure. Yeah. But you know, I think we're also we're definitely talking about physical strength. We're also talking, I think, about, I, I think we got to be honest and say that women are more vulnerable. I mean, if a man, if, if a woman, for example, you know, gets caught up in, in fornicating, right, she could, she could come away pregnant, right? You know, a man doesn't have those risks. Like, there are certain things, and this is something, again, that feminism has pointed out, these things that are unfair, and they are on the outside unfair. It, it does, on the outside, it seems unfair, that men seem to have biologically many more advantages than women. And I don't think it does us any favors to deny that. But what we should do is treat it as Christian and say, we, uh, this is why we are to love one another. This is why we are to exalt one another and rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, and you know, bear one another's burdens and trust that, that God, God looks with favor on the lowly, you know, it is a, a, a gentle and quiet spirit is very precious in God's sight. So, yeah, you're right that there are women who have great gifts and talents, and we shouldn't we shouldn't ignore those either. Um, my wife has great great gifts and talents. I have married an intelligent woman. You know, that's what I that's I didn't want to marry someone who wasn't able to have conversations with me. You know, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I've also learned with my wife that there are times when she's very vulnerable that she needs me, and she recognizes that when she just has a baby or even when she's giving birth. I mean, my goodness, there's this, yeah, there's great strength, and I, I admire her so much every time I see her give birth. But at the same time, she also is in a, she's in a state of weakness, too, and that's why she needs her man. You know, so these are, these are things that, yeah, I mean, we can, talk, we can 
we should we should not ignore the great gifts that women have. Um, and uh, we and uh, but but at the same time, we should also be honest about you know that the the feminists are kind of onto something. The problem with the feminists is not what they diagnose. They diagnose the problem. There is a problem. Um, but they, their, 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 their anecdote is wrong. Their, their, uh, uh, their, their, or their antidote, the antidote is wrong. Um, their, uh, uh, you know, their solution is, it's not the gospel. It's not the love of Christ and the love of your neighbor. That's an interesting perspective. I hadn't thought of it that way, that they, that, that they had correctly identified the problem. And, yeah, uh, and it's taken me a while to, to kind of admit that, but I think that it, it is, I mean, it, I'm not saying that entirely they get the problem, but in many ways it's true. I mean, when I reflect on my wife and me or just men and women in general, I, I'm i not going to lie, I'm glad I'm a man. You know, <laughs> there are a lot of things that, a lot of advantages that I have, a lot of liberties that I have that my wife just doesn't have as much. I mean, I, that doesn't mean that, and it's good for me to recognize that so that I can bear with her and, and you know, give her, you know, know where she's coming from. Well, part of it, I think, is societal change. Um, you know, my, my dad uh, my dad was in World War II. He, he was overseas for almost the entire duration of the war against uh, in the Pacific fighting the Japanese. Um, I'm somewhat older than you. I came up in the Vietnam era, and uh, men were the ones who were getting conscripted and sent over to fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not the case now. Uh, the the draft is gone. You know, you, you, women can go into the military if they want, they're, but they're not conscripted. Under most circumstances, they are exempt from combat duty. Uh, and you know, this this has changed. I think the idea of of man as the gender man being the protector. Yeah. Yep. Which I think is unfortunate. Um, we should, I mean, certainly things have changed and things have changed in many ways for, for the better. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not necessarily like longing for the good old days in every way. I'm glad that I'm glad that women in general have more, more freedom in the sense of not necessarily in, 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 um, you know, that, that they were necessarily in bondage um, by any particular law, but just with the advances in technology and a lot of stuff. I mean, my wife was able to, you know, get me through graduate school, you know, that kind of stuff that um, maybe she wouldn't have been able to do that uh, uh, generations ago. So I'm thankful for that. But at the same time, I do find it very unfortunate that that there is this, that with it there's this shift of men not, yeah, not being looked at as the as the protectors, and they should still look at themselves as that. And uh, I mean, I hope and pray that I never have to like fight, you know, in a in a war or in a battle or something like that. But but I, I'm fully aware that that is my duty as a as a man of the home to protect my home, to protect my wife and my children, lay my life down for her. I was going to say, you know, it, you know, bottom line, will we die for for them? Yeah, we will. Yeah, God willing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know exactly what you mean on that, and uh, I, I'm not sure that that is recognized today. I, I look at the uh, the concept of the the beta male or the metrosexual, uh, really downplaying the the role that masculinity plays in being a man. There are certain things that a man does. 
Uh, there's yeah. certain things that make a man a man. Attitude. Uh, mm-hmm. Knowledge of, of who and what we are. And I think we are in bad danger of losing that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and, and that you know, goes back to what we were talking about before the break, where you talk about how you know, there's so much I don't understand, but I believe I believe God's worth. And I and I said, you know, that's the best kind of understanding, right? You know, that that is wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so when you know if we were to just think that way, um, a lot of these things would kind of fall into place. You know, with, with so my wife, for example, as I mentioned, is very intelligent. She was like magna cum laude in, in uh, college and grad school, just very always much better grades than I got. Except for when I was in, in grad school, I finally kind of picked up my game. But, you know, she was always just very much, much more talented in, in really every way. But I was, I was attracted to that. And, uh, it was not for me, it was because we, we loved each other. Like it was, it's not, it wasn't a competition. And, uh, so that's why if love prevail, if love is what the love of God is driving you, then you can, you know, these, the, because the, the tables are going to turn too, right? Because she's not always going to be that successful graduate student with no children. No, now she's a woman with five kids who, you know, has has to live with happy chaos. Okay. You know? <laughs> so that's well. We're uh, wrapping up know. to our last minute, Pastor. Uh, I, I just want to say one thing: is I personally, I think the most attractive part of a woman is what's between her ears. Yeah. And uh, what are your final thoughts? You get about thirty seconds to play with here. Yeah, well, you know, what we've been talking about really this whole time is the image of God. And the image of God is is, uh, is beautiful, and uh, our eyes cannot see it, but by faith we, we behold it in Christ. And that's, uh, that's, really, that's really what this is all about. It is, and as I mentioned, there, there's always that voice. You know, the, the God lives within us. We don't have to bring him into our heart. He's already there. And and there's that that voice, that conscience, and that is the voice of the Holy Spirit. And you know, you know what is right or wrong. Even people who profess not to be Christians still have many of the same basic knowledges of what is right and what is wrong. Yeah. Well, I want to tell our audience you've been listening to Pastor is in. Let's talk. And today's guest pastor was Andrew Preuss of St. Paul's and Trinity Lutheran Churches up in Iowa. Now every Friday, a pastor sits in with me, and we have this wonderful talk. God bless you all. You've been listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The Pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.